We've been looking uh, over the last couple of weeks in Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And if you'll go ahead and turn there to chapter 1, we'll be looking at that in a few minutes. And if you remember, he starts in the Greek. It's a very long sentence. And the proposition of this sentence actually starts at verse 3, goes all the way down to verse 14. The basic proposition is that God uh, has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Now, that's his proposition. And then he begins to unpack these blessings. And it is as, as though he can't contain himself. What was his real focus, though? It wasn't so much on the blessings. It was on the giver of the blessing. In fact, when he started his sentence, he starts with these words. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He starts with God. He starts with the giver. He starts with the one who blesses. So you begin there. And so our question is, as we go through these blessings, the real question is, but what is it that we learn about God from these blessings? So real quickly in review, if you remember the first week, we talked about the fact that we were chosen by God. And in love, he predestined us to be adopted as his son. Do you remember this? This was the first week I preached on this. And I showed you the, the issue there, what we learn about God is his love, how God initiates, how God loved us long before we ever loved him. He initiates that love. He comes after us. And then the second week, we talked about redemption, in which we saw that it is redemption. It is that Christ came here to shed his blood. We were redeemed by the price of a ransom. And we, we talked about the holiness of God. We said we had to, to look at our sins in light of the holiness of God to ever appreciate how grievous our sins are. We'll never get them until we see them in light of the holiness of God. And when we see them in light of the holiness of God, it drives us to repentance. It drives us to genuine sorrow over our sins because we realize what it costs God to redeem us from those. It cost, us his, it cost him his son. So we looked at that last time, and this week we're going to come to the third category of these blessings, which basically has to do with the sovereignty of God, the fact that God is in the business of conforming every aspect of our lives into this great plan that he has. This is Ephesians 1, verse 9. This is God's Word. And he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will who were the first to hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. As I begin this this morning, I want you to, and I really seriously mean this, I'm preaching this sermon to me. I hope you benefit from it. But I'm preaching it to me, and I'm dead serious. I look back over the last little over decade of my life, and my family has experienced some severe times of trials, severe times of trial. 
It started about 13 years ago with the death of my first wife, who after 37 years in marriage died of leukemia. And then it seemed like for a period of time over these years that there was almost one major trial that happened after another, including me going through a major, major depression. I mean, real depression. I was out of ministry six months with this depression. Could not think straight. Was in the pit of hell. And it hasn't eased up since. You know, we, there's still these struggles. There's still these trials. And, and you know, we, we go through these things, and it becomes overwhelming at times. And if we lose our focus, if we don't get our focus in the right place, we're going to be overwhelmed. And that's why I'm preaching this to me, because I'm telling you, we're undergoing trial. And there are many of you here this morning who are undergoing trial. And unless we preach this to ourselves over and over again, we're going to become overwhelmed with it. Now, here's the good news. The good news is that God has a great plan and purpose for our lives. In fact, the theologians call this God's eternal decree. It's in the third chapter of the Westminster Confession of Faith, if you want to read it there. But the idea of this plan is, and you find, look, here it is in verse 11. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him. According to the plan of him. God has a plan. A plan who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. He has a plan and he has a purpose. Now, the question is, what kind of a plan is it? If God has this plan for my life, what kind of a plan is it? Well, I want to take you back to the people when they were in exile in Babylon. They had been defeated. Jerusalem had been destroyed. They are taken captive. And God comes to them in that. And you know what he says? I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. I'm sure they were saying... What is going on? We were ripped away from everything. We've been drugged into this pagan land, this pagan culture. We've become slaves. We've left home. We left everything. And God comes and says, well, wait a minute. I have a plan. And it's a plan to give you hope and a plan to give you a future. And this is what Paul is writing about today. If you remember two weeks ago, I I showed you how he chose us in him before the creation of the world. Do you understand that you being here this morning, that you being a believer, that's part of the plan? Way back in eternity past, he chose you. He loved you before he ever created the world. He was determined that you were going to be a part of his family. In love, he adopted you into the family. He chose you. And while that's critical for us to realize, we're part of the plan. The plan is a whole lot bigger than this. But before, there, before I go there, let me try to nail it down here. Here's what I'm saying this morning. Because if, if you get this, it's going to help you face the troubles in your life. God has an eternal plan, and nothing can prevent this plan from being fulfilled. Why? Because God sovereignly rules and overrules all things to ensure that his plan is being carried out. Now look at the verse again. 
In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything with the purpose of his will. This is what we mean when we use the term the sovereignty of God. And it's the sovereignty of God that makes sense out of Romans 8.28. Now, most every one of us, early in your Christian life, you learn this verse. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. If we don't understand the sovereignty of God, that verse makes no sense. He's saying whatever, remember, everything, everything, everything that comes into your life is being brought in conformity. God is causing all things to work together for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. And we have to rest on that. We have to believe that. We have to accept that. Now, I want to give you two illustrations. I want to start in the New Testament. I want to start with, with uh, Paul. You know that many of his epistles were written when he was in prison, including Ephesians. I'm going to quote Philippians in a minute. Ephesians and Philippians were two of them. He's in prison. Now, when you hear him writing all this, his focus is not on his trouble. His focus is not on the fact that he's in prison. He's not saying, woe is me. You know, here I am. I've tried to go out and preach the gospel. I've gone to these Gentiles. I've done something that nobody else has done. I've been, I've been faithful to God, and look where it ends me. I'm, I'm, here I am in prison. It's not where he goes. Look at the way he starts. Praise be to God who blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Paul understood the sovereignty of God. He understood that God took all the circumstances of his life, even though they didn't make sense at that moment. He knew that God was taking those. He was ruling, overruling, conforming them to bring them to his ultimate purpose. And so in Philippians, he's talking about his imprisonment. Look at what he says. Now, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me being put in prison has really served to advance the gospel. He goes on to say, even Caesar's guard, the praetorian guard, the palace guard, has been influenced by the gospel because I'm in prison. And he goes on to say, and the brothers have been far more diligent and courageous to preach the gospel. He saw that even what had happened to him had a, was part of a bigger picture, was part of a better plan. Paul got it. Well, let's go to the Old Testament. Let's go to Joseph. Remember Joseph? Joseph is a young lad. You remember what happened to him? Young lad, he's the favorite son. He gets the coat of many colors, right? He gets the father's favor. All, the, the bro- all of his brothers are jealous of him, and they want to kill him. They plan to kill him. That's the plot. Then they chicken out on killing him, so instead they sell him off to a bunch of Midianites who were coming through. You remember this? Now, I want to tell you, when you get to the end of Joseph's life, after, after the death of his father, do you remember what he said to his brothers? He said, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what's being done, the saving of many lives. Now, I'm sure that when he was sold into slavery to the Midianites, he didn't get this. I don't think he was, you know, Paul had it. Paul's in prison. He gets it straight. I don't think Joseph had it at all. It gets to the end of his life as he starts looking back over and how God worked in his life and took him through one 
crisis after the other. Study his life. And he gets to the end of it and he says, you intended it to harm me, but God intended it for good. And you know what the good was? Through Joseph being there, it literally saved the Jewish people. God has this great plan. And that great plan is a plan that he has put into effect that is to remind us that everything that happens has a purpose. In fact, even the greatest trials we face have a purpose. First Peter is written against the background of severe, severe, severe persecution. It was during the first century when the Christians, early Christians, were being severely persecuted. And Peter's writing to those Christians who are undergoing it. When he writes that Satan is like a roaring lion, they knew what that meant. They heard the screams of their brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers coming out of the the Colosseums where they were thrown to the lions. When he talked about fiery trials, they knew what that meant. You know, literally, some of them were burned. They were persecuted severely. He writes them and he says, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. Only a Christian can say that. Only a Christian can understand what is meant by that. Because we know that in the midst of our trials, as fiery as they may be, as painful as they may be, as uncertain as they may be, that in the middle of our trials... We know God is at work. We rest on that. We put our stake down on that. But I have to come back, and I have to keep claiming it over and over again in my life. Let me take you to another level. And we want to move to verse 9 and 10 for a moment. Look at verse 9. We have God's eternal decree, but God has an ultimate goal. He has a goal in mind. Here it is. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed on Christ. Now, this ultimate goal, this plan, this purpose, whatever you want to call it of God, he calls a mystery here. Now, why does he call it a mystery? Because all the way through the Old Testament, it had been hidden. The people in the Old Testament didn't understand what's been revealed to us. You see, that came to us when Jesus came. Jesus, the fulfillment of all of that Old Testament. Every bit of the Old Testament is pointing to him. And many of these truths were hidden back in the Old Testament. And now the mystery is going to come to light. Well, what is the mystery? And the mystery is that he is going to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Jesus Christ. That's the mystery. The mystery is there's this right glorious day you just sang about. There's this glorious day when all things are going to be restored, when all things are going to be made right again, to bring all things in heaven and on earth. Now, to make sense of this, we have to get to the big story. We have to get to the grand narrative. And if you look at God's big story, if you take the whole of Scripture, it can, it can really be boiled down into four chapters. And the first chapter is creation. Genesis 1, you have to stay with me, stay with me through this. Genesis 1, what happens? Everything is good. Everything is in order. Everything is perfect. Man is in this relationship with God. He is walking with God in the garden. He has this intimate fellowship. Adam and Eve, perfect fellowship, perfect harmony, perfect relationship, no conflict. 
That's chapter 1. Then chapter 2 comes in Genesis 3. Here's the tragedy. Here's the great, the, the great chapter of tragedy. And this is when sin enters the world. And what does man do? He begins to run from God. That relationship with God has now become disrupted. It has become distorted. Things get out of order. What happens to Adam and Eve? Do you remember? Conflict, division, blaming. And it's been that way ever since. That's why there's all of the trouble in the world today. It comes back to chapter 2. Then we come to chapter 3, redemption. That's where we are now. This is the gospel. This is when Jesus enters. And this is when the good news comes. Because God doesn't leave us in that desperate condition. He, becomes, he comes after us and he begins to redeem us to himself, to reconcile us to himself. That's what the cross is all about. That's what's happening now. That's the age in which we live. And we will live there until the final chapter, the final chapter of consummation. And so we get to the end of God's story. What do we see? A new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth has passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem. Do you get the picture here? All of this great movement of history comes to the point of fulfillment on that glorious day when Jesus Christ comes back and there's new heavens and a new earth. And what is it going to be like in this new heavens and new earth? Well, here it is. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things have passed away. Do you understand? No more pain. No more mourning. No more death. We will be there with him through all eternity. Restored back to what it was in creation perfect harmony of everything. So it's no wonder wonder that Paul wrote, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. Why? Because there is a glory to come that is so majestic, that is so enormous that we cannot begin to comprehend it. This is the mystery that Paul is talking about. And we have been predestined. We have been predestined according to the plan of him who works everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. So now what do we do with this? Well, it's interesting. Paul closes it out with this. In order that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory... The ultimate purpose of all that we go through, the ultimate purpose of everything is ultimately the glory of God. And that is our first and highest calling is his glory. In fact, even in the mundane things, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, you're to do all to the glory of of Christ. Our lives are to reflect what God has done for us. Our lives are to be witnesses to others of his love and of his mercy. That wideness we sang about of his mercy. We're to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. I want to close. I want to give you four statements. And each of these statements is going to begin 
with this phrase, because God has a great plan for our lives. This is what I want you to walk away with. Because God has a great plan for our lives. First of all, we're to live our lives on this earth with the end in mind, that glorious day. God has an eternal plan to restore all of his creation and to place it under the lordship of Christ. That's the mystery. That's what Paul is talking about. And all of history is moving toward that consummation. Let me put it this way, very simply. We are destined for glory, which means right now that as we look at our suffering and pain, we realize that it's not even worth comparing with that glory that is going to be revealed to us one day. We're destined for it. Second thing, because God is a great plan for our lives, we do not lose heart even during times of extreme pain and suffering. Why? Because God is in charge, God is in control, and God will deliver us. Here it is. And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, there's the eternal framework, that's the eternal perspective, will himself restore you. Look at it. He will restore you. He will make you strong, firm, and steadfast, even when it feels like your life is falling to pieces. God comes to you. God will make you strong. Claim this verse when you're in the midst of adversity because he's given it to us. The God of all grace has made that promise to you. Number three, because God has a great plan for our lives, we can trust him to lead us during times of uncertainty. Now, let me tell you something about me. I'm a fixer. If there's a problem, I want to fix it. Not in the household. I can't fix anything in my house. I'm talking about people. I want to fix people. God has brought me to the place to realize I can't fix things. I can't fix them. There are things in your life you can't fix. I'm telling you, you can't fix. Now, I'll tell you what God does do. You know, when you're in those places and you don't know what in the world to do, you are lost at what to do, you don't know what you should do, what you don't do, it says if we lack wisdom, ask God for it and he'll give it. Well, let me give you a verse. It's a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful verse. In his heart, a man plans his course. But the Lord determines its steps. I am so thankful that some of the plans that I had didn't work out because they would have been disastrous. All along, God is directing our steps. Even though you may not know it, he's nudging you. Even though you may not know it, he is there to give you what you need at that moment. Take one day at a time. Be sensitive to his leading. He will direct your steps through the most difficult times of all. And so I hope you see this morning, because fourthly, because God has a plan for our lives, we're to live to the praise of his glory. That's sort of the bottom line of what Paul gets to, in order that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. So what is our life to be? It's, it's about glorifying God. It's about glorifying God. In the midst of our troubles, to be able to glorify God. Wesley wrote these words. He says, help us your mercy to extol. He's describing that mercy. Immense, unfathomed, unconfined. To praise the Lamb who died for all. The Savior of all humankind.
And then Isaac Watts put it like this. Were the whole realm of nature mine that were present far too small, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Listen, in the midst of your troubles, in the midst of your struggles, focus on him and give your life to him. If we just, if our love was simple, we'd believe him. And this morning I'm asking you, make your love simple and believe him and extol his praises even in the midst of your suffering because God has a great plan for you. And it's a plan for your future. And it's about hope. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord, for the hope of the gospel. We thank you for the fact that you're sovereign, that you're in control. Life may seem completely out of order for us. But let us right now in this place this morning stop and look at you. You who love us with an incomprehensible love. You who are holy beyond anything we imagine. Help us to rest in you. And God, we realize that there's nothing we can give back to you in return for what you've done for us. But we do want to give you our lives. May you receive the praise. May you receive the glory. May we glorify you and enjoy you for all eternity. For Jesus' sake, amen.